Welcome to the first season of Average Joe's Rawcast. My name is Joe Fuentes. I'm a husband, a father of two teenagers, a 17-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter. Also a father of four pets, two dogs and two cats. I've been a nursing home administrator since 2001. I am a co-owner of Chill Pots, a paint-your-own pottery studio. A very cool place that my run my wife runs on a daily basis. So welcome to my podcast and here we go. Okay, so we will start out with the updates from the Colorado wildfires. I'm going to start with the Cameron Peak Fire because that is the closest to our home here in Windsor. That is west of Fort Collins. And uh, so far, the it has burned, the Cameron Peak Fire has burned 34,289 acres. It's about 54 square miles. And sadly, that's only about 6% contained right now. This fire on Saturday and Sunday, on Saturday it shot a giant plume of smoke about 35,000 feet into the air. And... Uh, it's still really smoky. It's causing a lot of smoke in northern Colorado. And then all of northern Colorado also got a rain of pine ash. So it was raining pine ash down on a Saturday, pretty heavy, and then again on Sunday. So all of our houses and cars, we woke up to pine ash all over them. So that fire is uh, definitely growing and Hopefully they can get containment on that better than 6%. So I will keep you updated on that in the next uh, podcast also. The Pine Gulch Fire is another fire. That's the one north of Grand Junction, about 18 miles north of Grand Junction. It's burned about 140,000 acres, about 217 square miles. And the good news on it, it's about 87% contained. So they are making ground with the Pine Gulch fire near Grand Junction. And it's getting contained. Then the next one is the Grizzly Creek fire. And it's in the Glenwood Canyon by Glenwood Springs. And it's burned about 32,400 acres so far. And they have that 82% containment. So they are making progress on the Grizzly Creek Fire also. Then we have the William Fork Fire. It's about 15 miles southwest of Fraser, And it's burned about 12,100 acres. And they have that only about 10% contained. So hopefully they can make some progress on that. The last uh, couple of days, it has been in the high 90s. It was 99 on Saturday, 98 on Sunday. So um, that's not helping the fires any, but they are calling for snow, if you can believe it, after 99 and 98 temperatures. And today on Monday, Labor Day, it's supposed to be around 94, 95 degrees. They are calling for snow on Tuesday and the high of 37 degrees. So hopefully the uh, mountains get even more moisture than we do here in the foothills and they can uh, get more containment on those fires. So let's hope and pray for some more moisture and snow on that, and uh, I'll keep you updated. So last time I said I would continue to update you on the mass testing we're doing at my nursing home as I run as a nursing home administrator. So 
we did do mass COVID-19 testing on all residents and staff. And uh, we did get one positive, of course. And a, this resident was and continues to be asymptomatic. Well, here's the interesting part of this so-called positive test. We tested the resident last Friday again, once we got that positive result back. So on Sunday, two days later, we received the results back and guess what? Yes, the resident was negative for COVID-19. That's right. Three days after the so-called positive, the resident came back negative. So that's not, that's not the best part though. We went ahead and tested that resident again on that Monday. And lo and behold, the test results came back to us on Wednesday as negative. So I'm thinking this is a false positive. It is pretty clear and we still have no COVID in our facility as far as I'm concerned. Well, a timeline was sent to the Well County epidemiologist showing the resident's history of COVID test. Let me tell you the testing history here. So on 6-24-20, this resident was negative in the hospital where they tested for antibodies and the report said antibodies not detected and this person likely hasn't had the COVID-19 in the past. On 6-26-20, resident was admitted to our facility. On 7-12-20, he was tested and he got a negative COVID test. 8-20-20, he was tested once again and got a negative COVID test. On 8-27-20, this resident came back and that's when we had the positive. And then like I just explained, on 8-30-20, there was a negative test. And 9-01-20, another negative test. So when asked if this could be considered a false positive with this timeline, the uh, county epidemiologist said that they, she didn't have enough evidence that was a false positive. I mean, really, what the hell else does she need? Wouldn't common sense tell you that this is a false positive? All other staff and all other residents tested negative at that time, and the resident is asymptomatic. I mean, come on. I think she didn't know how to respond or it was easier just to say she couldn't make a decision that common sense says that positive wasn't accurate. So I think all the signs point to total bureaucratic bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I know I'm biased, I admit it, but it is my podcast, so I'm biased, I will be. <laughs> uh, speaking of tests and data... I do not trust so-called experts and none of these jokers have been right since all of this COVID bullshit started. It is like when you were a kid and you thought, wow, all these adults are pretty smart and know their jobs pretty well. And then you get into adulthood and you realize that the majority of adults really suck at their jobs and don't have a good clue or a, what they're doing and many times care less if they're doing a good job. Just like this last week, did you guys see the CDC? They quietly updated the numbers that only 6% of all the 153,504 deaths recorded actually solely died from COVID. So that translates into nine, about 9,210 deaths that solely died from COVID. 
The other 94% had two or three other serious illnesses and the overwhelming majority were of very advanced age, they were saying, with 90% of those in the nursing homes. So if we can't even trust these new CDC numbers, which I'm not sure we can, I mean, others are saying the data is not interpreted correctly because COVID could have still been the number one contributor of death, or they may not have died if not for COVID, along with other serious illnesses. I don't think they are interpreted probably correctly either, but the data is only as good as what doctors put on the death certificates. I mean, uh, if we are trusting these numbers, though, you know what? I'm really pissed about them. So you're telling me we shut down an economy and ruin people's businesses and occupations for 9,200 deaths? Even if that number is a little higher, I still stand, my, stand by being pissed about it. I mean, let's say there are 10 or 11,000. I'm still, I'm still mad. The CDC says that the flu deaths annually range from 12,000 to 61,000 since 2010. So does any of you remember shutting down the country due to flu or the entire world due to flu? I certainly don't. So back to what we were told to do since that could not be proven as a false positive um, by the uh, county people. We have to test all residents and all staff again for two weeks. And of course, we can't have outside family visits. So these poor residents and staff have to go through more unnecessary testing. And honestly, it's not the most pleasant test or swab, especially for the more confused residents on our dementia unit. As you can imagine, we're coming at them with masks and sticking stuff up their nose and rotating it. That's probably a pretty scary experience. CMS has also came out with guidance on staff testing frequency and it's going to be dependent on your county's positive positivity rate. So if it's under 5%, which right now Weld County is, I think the last I checked on Friday, it was 3.4%. But if it goes, uh, if it's under 5%, we still have to test once per month. And that's on staff. We have to test staff once per month if it's under 5%. If it's 5% to 10%, we have to test staff once per week. And if it's over 10%, we must test uh, staff twice per week. Yeah, you heard me right, twice per week. I mean, good Lord, that's just ridiculous. And remember, like I've told you in the last couple of podcasts, if you have one positive resident or one positive staff, you are considered to have an outbreak which I still think is ridiculous. So let me go back to those CDC uh, findings and data that I mentioned. So there was new data, and I, what I said was that 90% of the deaths are in the nursing homes. I mean, okay, I can buy that. People are in nursing homes for a reason. And the vast majority of those in the nursing home have serious health issues. So that data, I mean, I'll, I'll buy it. I can, I can do that. So I agree that we need to protect the residents in the nursing home because they are vulnerable. But let me say that a different uh, way we need to protect them. After six months of lockdown, 
we need to offer such protection, but has the government asked residents if they want this protection? I mean, don't we still live in America? And the answer to that is no, they haven't asked them. I believe the resident, residents need to have a choice if they want to continue to be in lockdown or if and when we face COVID-20 or whatever the next great pandemic is called, they need to have a choice. I believe there needs to be a certain wing or wings of nursing homes or maybe entire nursing homes that either will continually lock down whenever the next virus comes along or you can choose to go to a nursing home that will try to protect residents the best they can but will not lock down and ban visitation and outings. I mean, really, if I had to be in a nursing home and I have a spouse, kids, grandkids, and even friends that I can't see because I am in lockdown, I mean, that's pretty much like a prison. And I'm going to take my chances because really, what kind of existence is that for any length of time? especially when you're an advanced age and uh, you don't know how much longer you have. We give people choices on DNRs, they call it, do not resuscitate. When they come into the nursing home on admissions, we always ask them, do you want to do not resuscitate, uh, where we don't use heroic measures to save their lives if they do get, um, you know, heart failure or some kind of thing like that. But we are not giving people choices on how they want to live their lives and the right uh, to take risk and chances. I would rather choose to die truly living than to die of loneliness and boredom or from an uh, existence I have no say in. And I know that others feel the same way. I believe something needs to happen with this because the answer is not waiting for some rush vaccine because I'm sure the next virus will be a different strain. This vaccine will not protect anyone from the new virus. And good Lord, who knows how long that vaccine will actually take to come out and uh, be proven somewhat safe. I mean, everyone is sick of this shit. Did you see that the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> thought she was caught on camera getting a haircut without her mask on uh, get, with her mask on in San Francisco. Of course, a lot of people are up in arms because she has been calling people out for not following the rules. And San Francisco has been a pretty much shut down for, uh, you know, most of their businesses. And uh, I have a different take on this. And I kind of feel for Nancy a little. I know some of you probably find that hard to believe, but I'm in a position at my work as the administrator, where I think a lot of these mandates and guidance are a crock of shit. So um, I also have to enforce, I guess you could say, for a lack of a better word, uh, a lot of these mandates that I don't truly believe in. I think they're ridiculous. So a lot of people and pundits and in the news articles are calling old Nancy uh, hypocritical, which, you know what, she probably is. That's probably so. But I have to go against my better judgment and true feelings a lot of times. And uh, so it can really grind on a person day to day uh, with all these new rules where you just want to, you really want to just say, you know what, fuck it. I'm tired of this. So I can see where you're coming from, Nancy. And you know what? It's kind of interesting because uh, Nancy Pelosi is up there in age. I mean, 
how old is she? God, is she in her nineties or what? She, I mean, it's hard to tell because she, her face has been lifted more times than a uh, weights at the gold's gym. So it's really hard to tell how old she is, but I know she's up there in age. So, I mean, you're an old lady and you, she's willing to take a risk and uh, go out there not wearing a mask or socially distancing. And, you know, on a side note, Nancy Pelosi is kind of interesting. I mean, uh, doesn't she kind of remind you of that drunken aunt that's kind of entertaining, but she says such crazy shit, you know, the one you kind of are obligated to invite, but you really don't want her over for Thanksgiving. She would be like, she'd be that aunt that uh, she'd be drinking before the Lions game and passed out before the halftime of the Cowboys game. And uh, here's the funny part too. We'd probably take photographs of her pass out on the couch and she'd claim that she was set up there also. But anyway, um, just my final thoughts kind of on all this. Uh, I'm not sure if we, the people, have turned into actual sheeple just waiting for the next command from our wise government experts to see if we will actually follow that next command too. I swear that's all they're doing. They'll chip away at us and see. I wonder if these fools will follow this next mandate. Or are we actually the frog in the pot of water getting the heat or lack of freedoms gradually turned up on us, looking down and realizing we were half cooked, or never looking down and get our dumb asses boiled without even knowing it. I'm not sure, is it just me? But it seems to be getting warmer. Huh, anyone else? So leading into another subject that has been impacted by COVID-19 and Maybe we've kind of lost sight of this because of COVID-19. It's uh, mental health, depression, and suicide. I wrote a letter back on April 12th of this year, which was Easter Sunday. I wrote that on Messenger to a few of my family members and friends, and a couple of those people posted it on Facebook. I had a couple of friends and acquaintances that ended their lives to suicide in the last year, year and a half. So I wanted to bring attention to it again, especially in Colorado, where we have a high suicide rate. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of that. So first I wanna read that letter from April 12th. So remember this is from Easter Sunday. On this Easter Sunday, I hope everyone is doing well. I know everyone has healthcare workers in their thoughts and prayers right now, as we are in the thick of the virus has really impacted our way of life, which those prayers are much appreciated. I have been wondering, though, even before these last few weeks, that we as a nation are truly are missing the true virus impacting our society each and every day. I am talking about the virus that kills 48,000 people each and every year in the United States and estimated to kill 800,000 people worldwide each and every year. I am talking about suicide as a virus that is relentless and keeps on killing day after day with no relief. It is sad whenever a person, especially in our range, in our age range, dies, my mind goes to suicide as the cause, and over the last few years, unfortunately, 
more times than not, I am correct. With our country's economy shut down and many small business owners losing their dream that they have worked years for, and many other workers lose their jobs that bring a lot of worth and meaning to their lives, I don't even want to think what the spike in the suicide rate may be for the next year or so. So my ask is that you please add this virus to your prayer list, and maybe with enough prayers and focus, we can come up with a vaccination to help so, so many and their families that are also a victim. I would much rather bury a person that died from the coronavirus than a person that died from a dead spirit. Stay safe. So I just wanted to read that again and keep that in people's focus. Because while I'm no Nostradamus or psychic, I know that, I think it was obvious that there was going to be an increase in suicides. And unfortunately, there has been an increase in suicides. Another troubling fact on suicides is that Colorado has the highest increase in teen suicide rate in the U.S. since 2016. And as many of you know, I have two teenagers, 17-year-old and a 15-year-old, so that really hits home. And unfortunately, Colorado continuously has one of the highest suicide rates in the country, and who they trail, the states that they do trail, are Montana, Alaska, New Mexico, Wyoming, Utah, and Idaho. So as I read this and ask myself, so what are the similarities in all these states? I mean, they're all mountainous. They're all pretty much rural. And they're in the West. I would guess... Probably an educated guess would be they lack mental health services and probably they don't have the best uh, job opportunities compared to other states. So I'm going to read you a list of warning signs and some key findings from the uh, Colorado study on suicide because maybe this will help you or somebody you know. And no, I guarantee you there's going to be no fucking social distancing and wearing a goddamn mask on this list. So here we go on some of the common warning signs of suicide. Uh, number one is giving away favorite possessions. Another one is a marked or noticeable change in an individual's behavior. Third, previous suicide attempts and statements revealing a desire to die. Symptoms of depression including crying, insomnia, inability to think or function, excessive sleep or appetite loss. Also, prolonged or inappropriate goodbyes. Uh, purchase of a gun or pills. Also, alcohol and drug abuse is a biggie. And then a sudden happiness or well-being after a long depression. Obsession about death and talk about suicide a lot. A big decline in work performance, in school or other activities. And a uh, deteriorating physical appearance or reckless actions. So also uh, from this Colorado study, some of the characteristics of people at risk of suicide I thought were pretty interesting. 
being male, of course, is always one. Suffering from mental or physical illness. Having a family history of suicide. Living alone or being unemployed. Or uh, being alcoholic or abusing drugs. And owning a gun is one also. And as I said before, uh, in general, suicide rates are higher in the Western states. Uh, this study says that the, um, you know, the reasons for the Western state suicides are unclear. But they also say in there that they parallel unemployment patterns, suggesting that economic downturns may have an impact on suicide rates. Well, I think that's probably pretty obvious and we knew that was going to happen with the COVID-19 shutting down all these businesses. Also, this I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, three indicators are strongly related to suicide death rates in Colorado. And of course, unemployment, people living alone, and on lower levels of Hispanics, suicide risk has been found to be lower among recently immigrated Hispanics between the ages of 15 to 34 when compared with their Hispanic counterparts born in the United States. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Also, the largest number of suicide deaths occur among middle-aged men, which we have probably all knew that. And I see evidence of that as I read obituaries and friends that I, and acquaintances that I've known. So those middle-aged men between 35 and 44 years of age and with the risk of suicide increasing for those with a mental illness or, of course, with alcohol abuse. Also, middle-aged men who commit suicide are also the least likely of all groups to seek mental health treatment prior to their death. And I can really see that. Also, the risk of suicide among women does not increase as they age. But it does in men. The risk of suicide deaths increase among men as they age and is particularly high among men who are 75 years or older. Most of the elderly who die by suicide are white and are not married. So women are much more likely to be suicide attempters while men are less likely to die, or I'm sorry, are more likely to die by suicide. So women attempt more, but men actually do the completion. I would say that's probably because men usually have more violent deaths with guns and that kind of thing. So what is the true virus, I ask you? Once again, like I did in April, I want to bring up uh, suicide numbers because they don't seem to be flattening anytime soon, and I don't think they will flatten. So please keep these in mind. Um, if you have loved ones or friends that trigger any of these, maybe we can prevent an untimely death, a unnecessary death. So I just ask you to uh, be vigilant on some of that stuff. Thank you. So on a lighter side from the last two subjects I covered, on my first podcast, I mentioned that our family had got a little French bulldog puppy named Briscoe. He's now about 14, 15 weeks old, and I mean, that dog is growing like a weed. So uh, I brought up before that I trained him. 
I've trained all the dogs in our family over the years. And my uh, way of training them is generally I don't use treats. I always use praise or what they call positive reinforcement. Well, with this little guy, my little Briscoe, he's so food driven, as most Frenchies are, if you know anything about French Bulldogs, that I did use food and puppy treats to uh, train him. Um, and on top of being pretty smart, he learned those tricks pretty fast because he wanted those snacks. So in uh, no time motivated by food, uh, he has learned so far how to come. He's learned how to sit. He's learned how to stay. He's pretty ambidextrous because he can shake um, hands or paws with both paws. He'll spin in circles uh, two or three times. He'll do a figure eight between my legs. And honestly, for a little 14-week-old uh, puppy, he has mastered walking on a uh, harness and a leash. He does really well with that. A lot of times puppies struggle with walking because they're all over the place, but he's done really good with that. So I will continue to uh, work on that. One thing, uh, too, is what we're really having a challenge with is rolling over. I don't know if anybody has hints out there. I've watched some YouTube videos. I've asked other uh, dog trainers and that kind of thing, but we're having a difficult time. Maybe it's the, it probably is the trainer. It probably isn't the dog. We're having a really difficult time with him doing the rollover. So we will continue to work on rolling over and uh, I'll keep you updated on how that training is going. So keep you posted. Okay, I just want to do a shout out to my niece, Christiana Pruden. She lives in Hayes, Kansas and teaches college at my alma mater, Fort Hayes State University. Go Tigers! She was recognized as the Robbins College of Business and Entrepreneurship Faculty of the Year as an instructor of management at Fort Hayes State University. And she's in her third year of this. So um, I have a little quote here from Dr. Rick Edgman. He's the department chair. He refers to Pruden's Award as richly deserved honor. At the university, she is well known for her exceptional teaching. Dr. Pruden is one of the best of the best. So uh, very proud of you, Christiana. Uh, when I was going to college in Fort Hayes State, Christiana was just a very small little girl, and uh, we were really good buddies at that time. I kind of helped my sister raise Christiana, so she's always held a pretty close uh, spot in my heart. So uh, me and the family here love you, Christiana, and congratulations. That's a very prestigious and a very nice honor for you. Okay, so now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Hispanic Word of the Day. So, my first Hispanic Word of the Day is compound. My girlfriend is kind of a lush. She really compound the beers. My second one is, the Hispanic Word of the Day is seesaw. Seesaw. My wife is going to be really mad. See saw me with my girlfriend. So lastly, 
I want to thank a very special person in my life, my technical director for the podcast, who without her technical expertise and encouragement, I would not have launched this podcast. So Abigail Fuentes, my beautiful daughter, thank you. And this is why you are and have been my favorite daughter. So thank you very much. I love you. And to everybody out there, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time. Have a great week.